You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Well, if you were listening to NPR this past week, you might have heard an interview with a guy I didn't, I didn't know. Um, he's a singer-songwriter named Jeffrey Foucault. He's got a new album out, and uh, David Green interviewed him. And at the end of the interview, he asked him to play a song, and he was going to play one of his new songs called Hurricane Lamp. And as Foucault's tuning up his guitar, uh, David Green asked him, what, what, what is a hurricane lamp or minus? And he said, uh, I like the way he said, he said, a hurricane lamp is a lamp that doesn't blow out. He tells David Green, I wrote this song for a friend who is um, going through cancer. It's, it's really about joy in a dark and stormy night. And the song goes like this. You've got a heart like a hurricane lamp. You've got a heart like a hurricane lamp. And I see you shine anywhere I am. Maybe think that that's a really good image of joy, hurricane lamp, what I would call indestructible joy. And you can see them in this room, actually. We have hurricane lamps underneath the stained glass windows on the side. It's, it's, a, it's a candle, and it's got a shield around it. Um, if I were to blow on one of these candles here hard enough, you know, I could just blow it out. And it, life is really breezy. It's really windy. It's really stormy. We saw that literally this week. But maybe you experience that in a much more figurative but even more profound way in your own life. And the question is, do you have a flame of joy in your life that uh, is indestructible, that's protected, that's shielded, that doesn't come from something that can be taken away from you? Well, when I say the phrase indescribable, indestructible joy, I wonder if a person comes to your mind. I wonder if you have at least one person in your life that you've met who has that kind of, of joy. Uh, it's hard to recognize when things are going well because it's easy to confuse with just the general happiness that any of us can experience when things are easy. But it really jumps out at you in relief when that person is in pain. And yet still you see in their life a kind of a joy just shining through their eyes, a sparkle, a brightness, a light that, that doesn't come from their circumstances. It seems even to defy their circumstances. And I can think of people like that. I think of a football player in a wheelchair. I think of a developer in bankruptcy. Uh, I think of a, a retiree in a nursing home with health issues. And yet there's this just inexplicable something about them that's so powerful so I think the question tonight is, how do you get that? How could I get myself some of that kind of joy? And this is really what the writer of Ecclesiastes is after here at the beginning of his book. And we'll look at this in more detail, but just know that chapter 2 begins with these words. The, the, the writer says, I said in my heart, this is my translation, I said in my heart, I will make a test of joy. Notice, I'm going to look at my heart to see what kind of heart I have. I'm going to look real hard at my heart. I'm going to see what is my heart looking for to find happiness, pleasure, joy in life. And see if I have the kind of joy that's really substantial, that lasts. It's enduring and eternal. Now, this exercise, this investigation of the teacher in Ecclesiastes is not mere sentimentality. And we need to be clear about this because we live in a season where joy is just a red word that gets put on our shopping bags, right? Um, it's not about just a, a luxury or a mood or a seasonal um, uh, emotion. Actually, it's transformational. When the angels, 
announce the birth of our Savior, that first Christmas night, to the shepherds, they say, fear not, for I bring you glad tidings of great joy. And in saying that one sentence, what they're telling them, and I believe telling us today, is that the opposite of fear, fear not, the opposite of fear is not courage, but it's joy. It's great joy. And I want to tell you, when the historians look back at our age, the first two decades of the 21st century, they may well call this the age of terror, the age of fear. And I can't think of anything more needed nor more powerful in this age than real indestructible joy. It's transformational. It's not elective. It's essential. That's why the writer of Ecclesiastes engages it right at the beginning here. This is about wisdom. Wisdom's not about how you feel. Wisdom's about how you live. And he wants his people, the followers of God, in his day to live with this kind of joy. And I want that for myself. I want that for you. So let's pull out the Bible. Open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. It's on page 537 of the Pew Bible. And tonight, I'm just going to read our text for you so you can really hear it. It's a little bit long, and I want to uh, read it for you. Uh, But I would love for you to open up the Bible so that you can follow along, and uh, I'll be referring to it again later in in, in these uh, remarks. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. After I read it, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, giving you an opportunity to say, thanks be to God. If you believe it or are struggling to believe it, I would invite you to respond that way. Here the writer, who calls himself the teacher, says this, I said to myself, come now, I will make my uh, test of pleasure, meaning I said to my heart, come now, I will make a test of pleasure or happiness or joy. Same word in Hebrew. So he says to his heart, enjoy yourself. But again, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched my mind how to cheer my body with wine, my mind still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly until I might see what was good for mortals to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and of the provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and delights of the flesh and many concubines. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had spent in doing it. And again, all was vanity and a chasing after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. 
Tonight, I, I want to look at this kind of joy uh, in the heart of a king and in the heart of a shepherd. Heart of a king, heart of a shepherd. And I want to make a distinction between joy that comes from getting, 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 and joy that comes from knowing. Because there are two people who can certainly tell you where indestructible joy does not come from, and that is someone on the one hand who is deprived of life's gifts, the poor, and somebody else who has all of life's gifts, the rich. Let's look at both of these. First, we'll begin with a king. A king looks for joy or happiness in getting, in getting, in getting what he wants, and as much of it as he can. Now, we don't know the writer of this text. He only calls himself the teacher. But what we do know is here in this passage, he certainly takes on the persona of Solomon. I think because Solomon was the richest king of Israel, the highlight of its day. So the perfect person to be able to say, hey, I had every opportunity to have everything. I didn't, I wasn't deprived in any way of any of life's gifts. He's the perfect persona to say convincingly to his readers that you will never find joy in getting more. You cannot extract joy, true joy, indestructible joy, from your circumstances. So he says, look, I tried all these things. Uh, laughter, wine, productive work, great home, wealth, nature, music, sensuality. And uh, in verse 10, he goes, yeah. I got pleasure from that. It did make me happy. And, and these are good things, and they will make us happy. However, he uh, knows that laughter will someday turn into a season of mourning. The wine will eventually run out. A career will end in retirement. Somebody else ultimately will live in your house and spend your wealth someday. This can't bring you ultimate uh, joy. He would say at the end of the passage in verse 11, ultimately you have to admit it's just chasing after wind, trying uh, to fine tune your circumstances. will only in the end blow out the candle of joy. Now this is important for us to remember. I mean, for me, I think constantly, I assume that I can get joy out of my circumstances. That if I could just fine tune my circumstances a little bit more, make them a little bit better, then I would be a little bit happier at least, right? So I say to myself, if only, if only, if only I were through the exams, you know, if only I were on vacation, if only I had a better vacation, if only I had a boyfriend, or <laughs> if only I didn't have a boyfriend. Uh, if only I had more friends, a bigger house, more money, better job, better family, whatever. It goes on and on and on. And yet Solomon said, you know, I had all that stuff. I went all the way down that path as far as it will go. And at the end, there was just nothing there. Emptiness. Well, not a, you know, you, you go, why are we talking about this at Christmas time? I call this teacher the Christmas Grinch. And I think this is exactly the time of year that Americans uh, should be talking about Ecclesiastes. Because this is the time of year we tend to forget that happiness doesn't come from all the stuff that we get. I don't know if you saw this commercial. It's a luxury car commercial. And she's a family. They're trying to take a picture of the family. And dad goes, he's all excited. He goes, oh, let's make sure we have everybody in the picture. And he takes his two kids and he push, pulls them apart so that the car, which is behind them, can show the, the hood ornament on, on the front. As though the car were a member of the family. Come on. And that's the way we are. So 
As some of you may have noticed, I, I've got my green pants on uh, today, uh, back by popular request. Thank you very much. I wore them today kind of as a test to provoke you, because what happens when I wear these pants is people go, oh my gosh, I've got to get me some of those pants, right? It's just your materialism flame, flares up, so it's kind of a test. And if you didn't think you have to get yourself a pair of these pants today, then you're really doing well towards uh, indestructible joy. Okay, you're on your way. <laughs> Uh, but at this time of year, Americans just need, need to know, hey, happiness is not found in pants. As cool as these are, uh, you're going to have to find something more substantial. I know it's hard to believe. I'm really happy right now. But <laughs> the pants are only a part of the story. And so here's the Grinch. I call him the Christmas Grinch because he's kind of, I don't know if he's a king. He's almost like a Tibetan monk, right? He lives up on Mount Crumpet, 3,000 feet above uh, the Who's. And he sort of sneers. He's, he's condescending. He, he looks down at them. He goes, oh, he deconstructs their holiday festivities. He goes, all that stuff, all the merrymaking and stuff like that. It's just noise, 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 right? So what he's going to do is steal their joy. That's the plan. He wants to steal their joy. And he thinks if he could steal all the stuff they're getting, all the stuff, this is the king's mentality, then he could steal their joy. And you know the story, so it doesn't go so well. For the Grinch, anyways, he looks down on Christmas morning, and they have nothing. They've been deprived of everything. They're bereft of all the things that the Grinch thinks would make them happy. And yet... There's joy. There's a sound of joy. They make a circle, and there they are. Now, my favorite character in this story is um, the dog. Does anybody remember the dog? I'm sure you can't see this. I wish I'd put this on the screen. This is Max the dog, right, he, who will serve as a reindeer in a pinch. And I think, what a nightmare to be the Grinch's companion. You know, who want, we feel for this dog from the very beginning. Oh, my gosh, poor dog. How is he going to survive? Well, I think that, that Dr. Seuss put the dog in that story a little bit as a witness to the truth of relationship that the Grinch seems to think he could live without. He's in denial, but the dog is there. Um, for some reason, he's willing to stay with this Grinch, and for some reason, this Grinch is willing to keep this dog. It's a hint that there might be something more in his own life. Maybe indestructible joy has less to do with circumstances than with relationship. That's the hint, and I want you to hold on to that for a second. Circumstances less than relationship. Let me tell you about my dog, uh, Olivia. Uh, if we were to ask Olivia, where's your happy place? Where does your heart look for joy? She would say, oh, definitely circumstances. My happy place is the belly rub, right? That's our dog. So if you take a little Olivia, put her on your lap, and just rub her belly, what she starts to do is she wants to lick. She wants to lick your hand. She'll lick your leg. She'll lick. It's her way of saying, this is what I like. Thank you very much. I love you uh, for you know the belly rub. So the other day I had a friend over, we were, I was showing the belly rub thing to my friend, and the problem was Olivia couldn't find my hand, and, or she didn't want to go through the effort, so she was just like totally jelloed out on the, on the rug. She started licking the carpet, which is not that clean in our house, and she's licking the floor. My friend thought this was so funny. She, she goes, oh, dear rug, I love you. Thank you, dear carpet, dear floor. And she goes, you know, isn't that funny? Because that's just the way we are with God. I mean, I'm sitting there with Olivia going, no, lick my hand. And my hand is here. This is me, Olivia. She can't find me. With God, we're the same way. We go, oh. when God tries to love us through the world, we say, oh, dear world, I love you, dear world. Oh, your abundance and all this stuff. And God's like, no, 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 no. It's me. I'm the one who gives you all this. I made the world. I love you. No, it's me. And we go, oh, world, thank you, world. See, the, the, the fundamental problem of human beings, this is what the Bible says, is that we confuse the gifts with the giver. We confuse the gifts with the giver. 
be very careful about this. When you, th- Christmas time, you're going to be giving some presents, I hope, and you'll be receiving some presents. Now, the reason we give presents at Christmas is not because we really want to get stuff or give stuff necessarily. I mean, if you give your mom socks for Christmas, it's not just that you want to warm her feet. You do, but you want to warm her heart, right? You give her socks because you want her to know she's an important person in your life and you love her. If you give your brother a kale salad, you make the salad, you take it over his house, it's not just that you think he's overweight and should eat better, it's actually, or that you want to fill his stomach, you want to actually fill his heart, you want him to know that he's an important person in your life, and you do this, you give the gift as a way of deepening intimacy. And I think to myself, how often do I turn to God in prayer and go, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this, thank you very little. And God's like, George, I'll give you all that, but what you really need is me. Okay, it's not so much the stuff. Stuff is only moderately ability to give you any happiness. And uh, so at a Christmas party, if you go to a Christmas party, and people go over the top of their hospitality, which is great this time of year. So there's food everywhere, best food, there are platters, the music is great. You think, wow, this assembly of people is fantastic, such fascinating uh, people. What brings them all under one roof? Drink all the wine and and dance and, and then get in your car and go home. But never meet the host. If you never meet the host, you have missed the whole point of the party. Because the reason that you're at the party is the host wants to know you. The host wants you to know him. It's about deepening intimacy in a relationship. And this is the fundamental problem for, for human beings. So Paul says it in Romans 1. He, he says, uh, we don't honor God as God or give thanks to him. We serve the creature rather than the creator. This was true in Israel. They were blessed to be a blessing. They start going for the blessing and they forget the one who does the blessing. This is true for the followers of Jesus. Jesus has to say as he goes around the Sea of Galilee, hey, you guys, you're just following me because you want the bread. You saw the bread trick and you're hungry and so now you're following me for more food. But I want you to know, he says, that I am the bread of life. It's not what I can give you that you want. It's who I am that you want, that you really need. I'm the bread of life. The one who eats this bread, pointing to himself, will live forever. Indestructible joy doesn't come from our circumstances. It doesn't come from the gifts that God gives us. It comes from the presence of God in our lives and relationship with him, knowing him and being known by him and knowing that he's with us. Stephen Colbert has a sticker, apparently, on his computer and uh, this is great. Let me, you might want to write this down. He, it says, joy is the most infallible sign of the existence of God. That's Stephen Colbert. What an interesting thing for a comedian to write. On his computer, a little sticker. Joy is the most infallible sign of the existence of God. Because when you find joy in a life of pain and sorrow, there's no other explanation but that a loving, joyful being put that joy inside of that person. There's a great article that came out this fall on Colbert written by Joel Lovell, who oftentimes reports for This American Life. And Joel, this is a fantastic interview with Stephen Colbert. The last third of the article is just gold. And uh, Joel um, talks about this message on his computer, and he says to Colbert, how could, you, how could you talk about joy when you have suffered so much? And I don't know if you know Colbert's backstory. Stephen Colbert doesn't have a dad. I mean, he had one, but he doesn't have one. When he was 10 years old, his dad went down in a plane, crashed and died. When Colbert is 10 years old, he loses not only his dad, but his two closest siblings. He, he, nine remaining siblings. There's a big family left with a mom who's now traumatized, deeply in pain. He said she was broken, but she wasn't bitter. 
And Lovell says, how can you talk about joy with all this pain? And here's what Colbert responds. He goes, he quotes one of his improv teachers from early days. You have to love the bomb. Well, I think that's maybe a tip to Dr. Strangelove. But what he's saying is, you know, when a comedian gets up there and absolutely wipes out and fails, it's your worst nightmare. You've got to learn to love that. Because you have to have something that's bigger than that in your life that allow you to break through the fear of a moment like that or you'd never be a good comedian. And when you do have something that's bigger in your life than that, when that happens to you, you grow. And you're a better comedian, better person for that. He said, that's what I've learned through my circumstances. And then he says this, Stephen Colbert, direct quote, the world is so lovely, the impulse to be grateful wants an object. That object I call God. I am here to know God, love God, serve God, that we might be happy with each other in this world and with him in the next. Stephen Colbert, it's about relationship. That first Christmas night, the angels broke the silence of heaven and called down to a group of shepherds tending their flocks by night. Luke chapter 2 says, They told them, do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. A shepherd's not like a king. A shepherd looks for joy in knowing, not in getting, in knowing. Relationship with the sheep. In knowing one who wants him, no matter what. Today we celebrate the fact that the uh, birth of our Savior was first announced to shepherds with this joy candle and the shepherd candle. Scholars ask, why why shepherds? Why were they they the first to receive the announcement of the good news? Why shepherds? Well, some say, well, it was because their circumstances were so humble. And that's that's certainly true. I mean, shepherds are are dirty. they're, They're poor. They don't own the sheep that they serve. They work for the man. And uh, these shepherds are on the night shift, right? And so their circumstances are very tough. But I think it's more than that. When we look at the Bible carefully and holistically, we realize that shepherds have a special place in the scripture. Remember, Abraham was a shepherd, Moses was a shepherd, David was a shepherd. Something about a shepherd reveals the heart of God. God has a shepherd's heart. And I think this is so important. What a shepherd is, is somebody, Jesus tells us, when he describes the good shepherd, who would give his life for the life of the sheep. A shepherd is somebody who would not allow any circumstance to come between him and his love for the sheep, him and his ability to lead the sheep into life and life abundantly. The one who was born on Christmas morning is that kind of shepherd who will lead you through sin, who will lead you through death who will lead you through the very circumstance you face tonight, and worse as well, in order to bring you into the fullness, the fullness of the Master's love. That's the good news. And it takes a shepherd to understand it. There's a a moment when Stephen Colbert gets emotional in this interview with Joel. He tells Joel a story. He said, um, there was a priest who met J.R.R. Tolkien. You know, the guy that wrote The Lord of the Rings. And the priest had a question, kind of a quibble with Tolkien. He said, I wonder if your writings sufficiently represent 
death as a punishment for sin. You know, you could almost read your writings and someone could maybe think that you think, in some cases, someone could consider death even a gift. And Tolkien thought about that for a few weeks. And then he wrote a letter back. And Colbert quotes just one sentence from that letter for his interviewer. He says this. This is what Tolkien wrote. What punishments of God are not gifts? Would you absorb that for a second? Because Colbert leaned forward. He knocked on the table with his fist. And he said, what punishments of God are not gifts? And then tears came to Colbert's eyes. To be alive in Christ is to live by faith with indestructible joy. It's a joy that will not come from your circumstances. The world doesn't promise it to you and cannot give it to you. It's a world that doesn't, a joy that doesn't come from outside of yourself. It'll only come from within yourself if you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and you know He is present in any and every circumstance of your life. He's with you, He's for you, and will lead you through that circumstance. We don't get it from life, we bring it to life. Joy, the Bible tells us, is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit. Because at every moment, the Holy Spirit wants to mediate the presence of the shepherd's heart to your heart. Not only does it not come from our circumstances, frankly, it's the only thing that will really change our circumstances. I don't know if you saw this story in CBS News. There's a wealthy man who... uh, considers himself a secret Santa, and he gives away $100,000 in cash at Christmas time. Took a stack of $100 bills. Did an interesting thing this year. He did it in Missouri. And he didn't do it directly. He did it through the police department. Why would you give $100 bills to police officers, sending them out on the street to pull over people who had broken down cars to bless them? Well, the reporter asked him that question. In a word, he said, joy. He's speaking not only of joy in his own life, but he's speaking of the officers. He wants them to experience the joy of giving. Why Missouri? Because can you think of another place in America that's more emblematic of the fear that is just locking us down and pushing us apart than Missouri? See, joy is transformational. And I I don't know that we have $100 bills to give away. Maybe some of you do, but I know we all have joy if we know Jesus Christ to give away this Christmas season. Good news, great joy. All people. Well, let me close by asking you about yourself. Where do you look for joy? What's your heart like? Maybe just take a moment and bow your head. If you'd like, close your eyes. If you're bold, you might open your hands on your lap. I want to ask you this Advent season, what's most likely to blow out your joy? What is it for you that's most likely to just extinguish your joy? This Advent. Would you, in your mind, just imagination, put that thing in your hands? Because it might just be that you're vulnerable at that point because you've been chasing wind. You've overexposed yourself to wind. And I want to ask you, you might just, if you're bold again, reach out your hands, take whatever that thing is and give it to Jesus. And ask yourself, do I believe, Jesus, you are stronger than this? Do I believe, Jesus, your news is better than this? Do I know you well enough, Jesus, to trust you to lead me through this? If you do that tonight, you now have a heart like a hurricane lamp. And I want to read the final words of Jeffrey Foucault's song. You've got a heart like a hurricane lamp. 
and I see you shine anywhere I am. Keep your light inside. It's a long black night coming down on you, the one that howls inside where the wind blows through. I know you feel like you're dying for anything true. But you've got a light, and it shines in you. Keep your light inside. Keep your light inside. Keep your light. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, what a great world. But more importantly, oh, Lord Jesus, what a great Savior. Tonight we open our hearts to nothing and no one but to you, our Savior. Thank you for coming as a baby, as a human. Thank you for coming into our human nature, to take our human nature into the joyous fellowship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Someday Jesus, the one who came, will come again. And just like a dog who runs to greet the master on the doorstep, so we know that in that day, when you break down the door of eternity and come into time and space again with glory, our hearts will beat from our chest with joy. And we pray tonight that you'll give us the fullness of that wonder and anticipation. We pray it in your name. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.